In a city of three million, it could be easy to feel lost, to always be busy and online while never really being connected. 312, Park Near North's Young Adult Ministry is focused on developing community and discipleship for young adults in Chicago. We'd love for you to join us, whether you're single, married, or dating, and take part in one of our monthly events or semi-annual retreats to build a community of fellowship that helps you grow in your relationship with Jesus. 312, knowing God and making God known in Chicago and to the ends of the earth. My name is Trevor. I'm one of the pastors here at Park Near North. Looking forward to the time together. Uh, And yeah, as Lauren was saying, Faith in the Ordinary, How Following Jesus Goes Far Beyond Sunday is the series that we are currently in the midst of. And uh, it's all about how how following Jesus actually touches on so many of the fundamental aspects of our lives and does so in a way that is absolutely good news. And so tonight we're continuing that theme specifically with uh, the subject of money. So recently, I've been listening to this fascinating podcast. I don't know if any of y'all are podcasters out there, but if so, uh, this is just a quick recommendation. The podcast is called I Will Teach You to Be Rich uh, by a financial guru, as they're called, named uh, Ramit Sethi. And the podcast is basically him providing counseling to couples in the area of finances. And in almost every episode, when he finally gets down to the heart of the issue, right, what, the, what really the root of their struggle is, uh, it all comes down to them living with these different scripts, right? the different scripts that people have, uh, these unconscious scripts that shape the way that we live and uh, feel and think about money and the way that we handle it. And people are operating according to different scripts within their relationships. And so they think very differently about how money should be handled around uh, what it means and what purchases are worthwhile and which ones are absolutely foolish. And so with all of that, it basically leads to a lot of conflict in their relationships that he kind of slices through and eventually uh, reveals what the scripts are that they're working with. And I personally find it fascinating just because uh, the truth is we all have our own scripts. We all have our own unconscious ways in which we've been shaped to think and feel about money, right? Even myself. And so just to kind of open up and put myself out there, uh, just to give this maybe a little bit more of a concrete feel, uh, this would be my script. Let me just unpack this for us. So when I was about 10 years old, uh, before it was actually assigned the next year, um, I read in fifth grade the wilderness survival novel. In my opinion, the greatest young adult novel ever written, Hatchet. Right Now, I was expecting some cheers when I dropped that. Hatch, hatchet? Did you all, I don't know if you heard that. Got a clap there. Okay. If you haven't read it, it's, it's worth going back to, but... Uh, so I loved this book. Loved reading when I was uh, a kid, still do. And, uh, but this was the first time I ever read a book that made me not just want to read books, but it made me want to write them. Right? After reading this book, I decided that I wanted to become an author, that I wanted to pursue writing. And I can even remember opening up Word documents on my computer at home, our family computer, trying to type out different stories and figuring out just try, how, do, how do I write a story. But what happened was, right about that same time, when I began to pursue my writing ambitions, 
everyone else in my family, including my parents, began to have all kinds of projects and work that they needed the computer for as well. And so for whatever reason, it always turned out that I never could find a time when the computer was actually open, when I could use it to write stories. And so that was my problem, right? I needed access to the computer in order to write stories. So my 10-year-old brain formed a solution. My mom had a laptop that she used for work, so I was familiar with seeing her work on that. And I was like, well, if I could buy my own, if I could just buy my own laptop, then it'll be mine, and I won't have to share with anyone, and I can write on that. I can keep all my own stories right there. That would give me everything I need if I can only buy my own laptop. The trouble was, this was right around the year 2000. And uh, so there was no such thing. For those of us who remember, there was no such thing as buying a cheap laptop in the year 2000 uh, for just a couple of hundred dollars. But the cheapest laptop you could find at that time was at minimum $1,500. And so as a 10-year-old kid, I had to figure out some way to make that money uh, in what was also a remarkably small town with not the most lucrative economy. And so I was trying to figure out, how am I going to do this? And eventually I came across this magazine that sold kind of little knick-knack products, like candles and different things. And you could make money by taking that magazine to people, showing them the the products, then they would place an order with you. You would place the order on their behalf, get the, the product, and then deliver it to them. You're basically Amazon before Amazon did what they do today. And so I did that uh, in my small town. I rode my bike two miles into town. I got a friend to come with me so my parents would allow me to do this. And I went door to door through the entire town showing this magazine, making my pitch from trying to raise money to buy a laptop, uh, collecting checks, placing orders, and then eventually delivering everyone's products. And at the very end of it, I actually made about $1,000, which felt great, but it still wasn't enough to buy a laptop. And I was completely out of ideas for how to buy more or how to to make any more. And so what ended up happening was I kind of gave up. And the money just sort of sat in my savings account collecting dust until I hit high school. And uh, then it just trickled away pretty quickly uh, to video games and to gas. I got a PlayStation 4, which was fun. It was fun. Um, But... (laughs) But the point is I never ended up pursuing writing because I couldn't make enough money to buy the laptop that I thought I needed to write. I had noticed that I thought I needed. And looking back, I've realized that this isn't just one isolated instance in my life, but this is a recurring tendency that I often have fallen into where I decide I want to pursue something only to then find that in order to pursue it, I need more money. Money is the thing. That's the conclusion that I arrive at. So I put pursuing that thing on a temporary pause so that I can try and pursue more money so that I can actually pursue the thing, which almost every time fails. And in the end, I never really end up pursuing the thing I wanted to in the first place because that's my script. To me, what my script tells me is that money is access. Money provides access to the things that I want to pursue in this life. So I often find myself thinking, man, if I just had more money, not because it represents success or value or security or or any of those things, not that I think in some ways it can be tied to those as well, but fundamentally my script is that I need more money in order to pursue the things that I really want. 
right? For, for example, just to tease it out a little bit, date nights with my wife, right? I need more money uh, to, to become a better and a more skilled leader. I, I need, the only way to do that is with a degree. So I need more money, right? Uh, to, even writing as a kid, I need more money for a laptop because what my script tells me is that money provides the access you want to the things in this life that you desire. And so often that's what I've actually fallen into believing. But when I take a step back and just reflect on every one of those stories throughout my life, what I find is that it was never actually true. I never needed more money to pursue the things I wanted to. I did if I was locked into one particular way of pursuing them. Right? If, the, if the route couldn't change, then I really did need more money, but that never needed to be the case. Right, for example, I could have pursued writing with a, a pen and a pad of paper. I don't know why I never considered that. Like for 20 years, <laughs> it, would, it would have been so much easier. Right? I can date and pursue my wife without needing to hire a babysitter and pay for an expensive dinner every single week. It just There are less expensive and more thoughtful ways to do this. And that's not the case just with that example. It's the case with every example. Right? Because... But so often what I've found is that unconsciously I've become locked into that script, right? which I would bet is something that's true, not just for me, but for so many of us, right? that in some ways we've, been, we've become locked in, in so many situations in life, we become locked into our scripts. And so what I'm really hoping to do tonight is just to lean into a few of these more common scripts that many of us have around money and to show the way that they impact not just how we think and feel about money, but even further than that, to show the impact they have on our lives. Right? What is the impact that our script around money has on the rest of our lives? And so to that end, the question that I would love for each and every one of us to walk away tonight being able to answer, or at least considering, is just this. What's your script? Right? When it comes to money, what is your script? And so what I want to do uh, to that end is just to explore and hopefully answer the question, uh, first off, what is Scripture's script around money, right? What does the Bible have to say about money in particular? And then in doing that, I think that'll give us something to compare our own scripts against and kind of tease those out. So, uh, so that's the goal. We're going to walk through what does the Bible have to say about money, and then through that, tease out what some of our own scripts might be. So first off, there's three thoughts on this. First, um, Money is a blessing from God. First thing is that money is a blessing from God. Proverbs 10.22 puts it like this. It says that the blessing of the Lord makes rich, and he adds no sorrow with it. The blessing of the Lord makes rich, and he adds no sorrow with it. God is the one who provides for each and every one of us. And money is one piece of how he does that. I think what is interesting, though, is that if you take into consideration, just kind of step back, and even more broadly than money, we take into consideration that God is the one who created us. And we go through this life with certain needs, right? We need food and water and shelter and relationships, and God created us with these needs. And at the same time, he put us in a world filled with all of the things that we uh, need, all of the things that can actually meet those needs and those desires. For example, when we uh, pray for grace before a meal, which uh, I was, I was going to make a joke about you not saying grace tonight, but I'll just skip that. I'll move past that. When, when we say grace before a meal as a family, one of the things we do with our kids is we don't just say, uh, you know, Jesus, thank you for the paycheck that paid for this meal. 
But we say thank you that, uh, even for example for tonight, thank you for the, that you created the animals that could be turned into these delicious carnitas, right? <laughs> thank you. Uh, thank you that you created lettuce and corn and, and avocados. Right? Thank you that you made these things uh, and that you meet our need in continuing to bring these about each and every year. Right? And so God is our provider, even in that much more broad sense. And I think it's helpful to take that into consideration. But, but even beyond that, bringing it more narrow again, this proverb says that wealth is a blessing from God. Now, it's interesting that there is a qualifier to this, and that wealth that is a blessing from God, um, it says that it comes without sorrow. Right? It comes without uh, all of these other complications. And several other proverbs go on to say that wealth gained through injustice is not only not a blessing from God, but it actually invites his wrath because God cares so much for the poor. But I think what's interesting to consider here is that wealth that's gained through honest work is a legitimate blessing from God. Right? Wealth that's gained through honest work is a legitimate blessing from God. All right, so that's first. Now, second, uh, in kind of building upon that foundation, our money does not actually belong to us. Our money does not belong to us. There's this parable that Jesus teaches in Matthew chapter 24 that we actually touched on last time in speaking about goals, and I was trying to find something else uh, for this particular point, but what I came to is this whole series, right, uh, Faith in the Ordinary, How Following Jesus Extends Far Beyond Sunday. If there was any passage to actually anchor this entire series in, it would be this parable, this passage in particular, because it does so well at getting at how following Jesus really encapsulates every area of our lives. And so with that, I just kind of want to revisit it here because uh, I just think it, it fits this topic really well. So the story that Jesus tells is about a wealthy man who goes away on a journey for some long uh, and unset amount of time. But before he leaves, he gives money to three of his servants, giving five talents to one, two to another, and then a single talent to another. A talent being an enormous amount of money, the equivalent of 20 years' worth of wages for just a daily laborer. Right? And so in the story, the first two servants, the ones who receive five and two, they make use of their talents. They invest them, and they're able to make a profit from them. Right? Whereas in contrast, the final servant opts to do nothing, and instead... He buries the talent until the man returns. And when he does, the, the man is outraged with the final servant who did nothing with what he was given, right? who, who did nothing with what had been entrusted to him. Right? But the first two who did make use of what they'd been given, uh, to this he said them. He says, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And in the parable, it's talking about so much more than just our finances. Because the concept that Jesus is unpacking in this parable is that of stewardship, right? The idea of stewardship, that our entire approach to, in life, in the life that he's invited us into in the gospel, is to be one shaped by this idea and this concept of stewardship. And a simple definition of it, just to put it in clear and simple terms, would be this, that stewardship is managing the resources of another according to their priorities, managing the resources of another according to their priorities, which means that it, it doesn't actually belong to us, but it's been entrusted to us in order to manage according to the priorities of the one who gave it, right, according to God's priorities. And thinking back to that idea of scripts, revisiting that again here, I think many of us have scripts that, that kind of fall somewhere along the continuum, that right in the middle, 
uh, we have the biblical script, right, which is this idea of stewardship. But then we can kind of go in one of two different directions, where over here, I think there are some of us who place too little value on money, right, that, that we actually could care about money a little bit more. Um, but then, on the other hand, there are those who are over here, and our scripts tell us that money matters way more than it ever actually should, right? That money is way more important. And so what I want to do is just kind of tease out these two directions a little bit. And I think the concept of stewardship in particular hits home for those who fall more so on this side of the, of the continuum, where money is something that we place very little value and give very little thought to. And so I've been on a bit of a Charles Dickens kick the past couple of years, and I am in no way ashamed of that. Uh, I've been loving those novels um, in, in many different ways. And so I got to call it Bleak House. Has anyone read Bleak House in here? There must be one person. Are you kidding me? Oh, Mike, Mike Rolfus. Oh, there we go. There we go, Josh. Okay, the novel's insane. It took me 600 pages to figure out what was even happening in it. But worth it in the end, as Dickens always is. Worth it in the end. And so uh, in this story, he creates this character called Harold Skimpole, who at first seems like such a pleasant and honestly just a silly character, but in a way where you enjoy him. He, he seems fun, right? He, because he cares nothing at all for money or about time. He's just like a grown-up child going through life without a care in the world, which seems okay and likable at first, until you go on to see that throughout the story, his carelessness isn't actually a good thing. I, it's actually incredibly irresponsible, because even in the book, he's married with children, but he refuses to provide for his family. He borrows money, a lot of times very significant amounts of money, liberally from his friends without ever having any intention of ever paying them back. And what the book goes on to reveal is that no matter how much he claimed to not care about money, the way he handled it ended up being incredibly damaging and hurtful to almost every relationship he ever had. Right? And I get that that's a, it's a caricature, and it's intended to kind of make a point in a dramatic way. But I think the risk that we fall into when our script is on this end of the continuum, that money doesn't matter at all, the risk we run is actually of damaging those who are around us, of hurting others relationally, because we're not careful enough with the way that we handle our money. And so all that to say, the question is, what's your script? Because when we fall on this end of the continuum, I think that's the risk that we run. All right, so second point, our money does not actually belong to us. The concept of stewardship is this biblical uh, script, right? Now, our third and final point, um, the love of money is an incredibly dangerous and destructive thing. This is the one that we have a tendency to talk more of and be a little bit more aware of, that the love of money is an incredibly dangerous and destructive thing. The Apostle Paul, one of the main authors in the New Testament, he writes this in 1 Timothy. I don't have a slide for this, but I'll, I'll, just, I'll read it out in, a, in hopefully a clear way. It says, uh, Paul says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. All right, so contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. And this is kind of the key verse right here. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. The love of money is a root 
of all kinds of evils. Now, just as some of us fall into the camp of placing too little importance, right? Many of us err in this other direction where we place far too much importance on it. So much so that you could even say that we love it. And I put my cards on the table very clearly at the beginning, right? This is the tendency that I tend uh, to, to fall in. And what I find interesting about it, though, is that we don't often love money just for money's sake. It's not like we're, you know, Ebenezer Scrooges just trying to swim in piles of cash and gold. It's, but we love it for all kinds of other reasons. Did you all not grow up on DuckTales? What's going on here? Ebenezer Scrooge? There we go. Drew's got me. I appreciate that. Okay. Um, <laughs> but the point I'm trying to make, though, is that we don't love money for money's sake. We love money for all other kinds of reasons that are all wrapped up in our scripts. And so let's just tease some of these out together. All right, for me personally, the script says that money provides access. Without money, you cannot live the life that you desire. Now, the thing is, there's an element of truth in this. Right? It's not a complete lie in that money really does provide access. But the thing is, it's only a hint of truth. And there's far more lie to these scripts than anything else. Because just to tease this out, if the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils, of all kinds of evil, then I think the question that we need to consider when it comes to our scripts is, what is the evil that they lead to? Right, what are the damaging things that they produce in our lives? And for me, this script, if I was to give into it, it would lead me to spend my entire life chasing money so that I could then pursue the things that I really wanted, missing that they were actually available to me the entire time. I could waste my entire life neglecting the relationships that are most important to me all because of this one lie. Right? That's the evil that this script, that this love of money in this fashion can produce. Now, other examples, other scripts would be that money provides security or power or success or even value. Right? That money provides these things. So the more money you have, the more secure you are. The more power you have, the more you are successful. Right? The more value you have. Which, again, there is an element of truth to all of these, especially when considered in light of poverty. Right? That poverty often leaves people without opportunity, vulnerable, and sometimes just looked down upon in a societal way. So there is a hint of truth to these, right? But, but the thing is, there has to be, otherwise we would never believe them. Right? If there wasn't at least a hint of truth, we would never fall in to actually believing them. But at the same time, they are far more lie than anything, and you can see that just by what they produce. And so, just to tease this out, I, I think experientially what we find is that the more we lean into these scripts of loving money, for whatever reason, right? If the more we chase money in order to help ourselves to feel secure, to feel safe in this life, the less we actually feel secure, right? The, the, the more that we think money provides power and success, the, the more that we feel like we don't have enough. Because you always end up finding other people around you who have more, right? And who are more secure, who are more powerful, who are more successful. And you're always wrestling with this feeling of being behind, of not having enough, of never being able to answer the question, when is enough? And so the evil it can lead to, I think in all of these, can be an anxiety in your experience. It can be a willingness to compromise on your character in order to get ahead financially. It can be that the constant pursuit of more hardens your heart in a way that leads you to, to not even care about the plight and suffering of others who really are in need. Or it may just be 
that you end up spending your whole life chasing something that really doesn't matter and neglecting so much that does. Because the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. So again, the question is, what's your script? Because it really does matter. And once you've identified that, what may be helpful is figuring out just how does the gospel help you rewrite that into a script that is more helpful and more biblical. And so the gospel, just to put it in clear and simple terms, the gospel is a message about Jesus, that we were created for a relationship with God, that by our sin we were separated from God, that relationship was broken, but God loved us so much that he sent Jesus to die in our place and for our sins so that we could be brought back into the relationship with God that we were always created for. That is the gospel message, right? which is a message that we're invited to respond to with faith and with belief. And when it comes to these scripts, the gospel is the most helpful medicine that can be found. Right? And so, for example, if you believe money doesn't matter, the gospel says that everything you have in this life, including your money, has been given to you by God, and the gospel has brought you into a relationship with him, where handling your money well becomes a way that you worship God, a way that you communicate love to God. So instead of money doesn't matter, the script becomes handling money well is a way to worship God. If you believe money provides access, the gospel says God is your provider, right? not money. And so if he has called you to something, then he will provide whatever is necessary for you to be able to do that. Money doesn't provide your access, God does. And so if the money isn't there for the route you've been seeking, maybe it's just that you need to alter your plans for getting there, right? And to seek a slightly less conventional and a slightly more creative route. right, again, if you believe money provides security, the gospel says God alone is your security as the only one who is sovereign over all. right, and thankfully, because of the gospel, he now sees you as his beloved son or daughter whom he is glad to provide for and whom he is there for each and every day. And if you believe money provides power and success, then the gospel calls you to revise your definition of each of those and to see that true power and success is marked not by wealth or authority, but by the willingness to sacrifice for the good of others in humility. And your value is found in the relationship you now have with God and his love for you. Right, which is something that no lack of money can take away and it's something no uh, great amount of money can, can ever contribute to. Which also means for those without work, for those in a season of financial difficulty, that doesn't make you a failure. That doesn't make you less than in any way. But any shame that might attach itself to you in that situation is removed by the gospel. And in the community, the church, that is shaped by the gospel. Because God does not delight in you any less because of it. If anything, he's probably drawn you closer to him through it. And as we get ready to close, let me just say this, that one thing I find fascinating about the gospel is that it doesn't just invite us into thinking uh, or believing differently in this life. It does do that. It changes our thoughts and our beliefs, but it also changes the way that we live. And so uh, essentially what I want to say is that the gospel, it overturns our harmful scripts and it invites us into a way of life that protects us from these scripts. And I think More than anything, what I want us to walk away tonight with thinking is what is your script and to be considering that and and the impact it has in your life. And at the same time, I do believe that the practice of generosity is something that we're called to as followers of Jesus in the life we've been invited into in the gospel, and it's for our good. 
Because giving, right, generosity as a practice is a practical way that we've been given to root out these harmful scripts, right, and to replace them with the biblical script of stewardship. And it helps to ground that in us and to find our identity more and more in the gospel. And so the gospel overturns our harmful scripts and invites us into a way of life that protects us from them, and it invites us into a more joyful and a more meaningful way to handle our money. So my hope is that's an invitation you're willing to receive. Let's pray together. Uh, Jesus, we thank you for the time together tonight. Thank you for, um, we thank you for money, that um, you are the one who provides for us in so many different ways. We thank you for the fullness and for the richness of that, um, of that title that you have as our provider, and that expands into so many different areas of this life. Even the very breath that we have in our lungs at this moment is something that you have provided. Um, and we thank you that when it comes to our finances and our money, that, that also is an aspect of the way that you provide for us. Um, and so we know that we've all been shaped in different ways to think and feel about money, and we pray that, um, that more and more that you would be working in us to reshape us, to think and feel about money in the way that is best for us, in the way that the gospel invites us into, and that we would find great joy, great comfort, and great meaning um, in doing so. So would you uh, guide our conversations to follow? Bless the rest of the time together. Thank you. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.